Um, thank you so much for uh, coming out tonight on a uh, snowy night um, for this uh, presentation that we're going to be talking about the fish consumption advisory um, that we have on Starkweather and Lake Monona. Um, and we will also um, be able to talk a little bit about foam and a little bit about our surface water sampling. Um, I, and I say R because we're working with uh, DNR and uh, DHS. Um, and just so that everyone is aware, Jim Amarin from the DNR is here. Um, and we also have Roy Irving and Clara Jong from DHS here, too. So uh, we have our state partners here if we have any questions that they may be able to answer. I also want to acknowledge Joe uh, Grande from the uh, Madison Water Utility. Um, he is the water quality manager for Madison Water Utility. And of course, uh, Marisol and Phil and uh, Pow, too. So thank you um, for um, providing the interpretation services. Um, right away, I just want to talk, the scope of the meeting tonight is that we're going to talk about the fish consumption advisory, and we're going to talk about the surface water testing. There are plans uh, in mid-March that we'll have a much larger meeting that will have uh, different people from all different agencies um, that will go into and talk about some of the remediation efforts and then also um, talk about uh, future plans um, for PFAS in Dane County. All right, so we want to just start with the uh, important messages that I'd like you to take home tonight, that uh, PFAS uh, chemicals are widely used. Uh, they're ubiquitous in our environment. They're everywhere. Um, they stay in our body in a long time. When we get them into our body, they stay there for quite some time. There's a lot of health risks that are associated with elevated levels of PFAS, high-level exposure. Um, and we have found high levels of one of the substances, PFOS, in the uh, fish on uh, Starkweather Creek and Lake Monona. And because of that, fish consumption should be limited. So um, we want to get that message across. That's the main message, is that fish consumption really should be limited, and we should be paying attention to the DNR Fish Consumer Advisory. So we're going to try to answer a few questions tonight. What are PFAS chemicals? Uh, how do PFAS enter the body? Why is the uh, fish consumption so important, and why is it restricted? And then touch a little bit on surface water and foam. So just a little bit about PFAS. Uh, it's been in the media quite a bit. Uh, it's been in a lot of, uh, it's in a recent movie. It's uh, in a, a documentary on Netflix. So there is uh, quite a bit of media attention for PFAS. So they're called per- and polyfluorinated alkali substances. That's what the PFAS stands for. Um, they've been produced commercially since the 40s and 50s. So they've, they've been out for quite some time. Um, peak production was from uh, 1970 to 2002. Um, they did stop uh, making the uh, PFAS. Um, There's a voluntary ban. Um, and the uh, production was stopped uh, in 2000 and then for one of them and then in 2015 for another. So you can see just recently the, the use of PFAS in the United States has uh, changed. There's over 4,000 uh, types of PFAS uh, and, and more all the time. I've heard up to, uh, I've heard 4,700 um, and just by changing some chemicals, they can actually change and be a different substance. 
Um, they're really good at what they do. They're good oil uh, repellents, grease repellents, um, and they're excellent at forming a foam cover to put out a fire in a matter of seconds. Um, and that's what the, one of the most common usages is um, the firefighting foam. There are some environmental concerns. Um, some are really, uh, uh, they're very resistant to degradation. So they have a long chain that uh, will break into smaller chains, but you're still going to have them around. The, the chemicals are going to stay in the environment for quite some time. That's why they get the, uh, the name of uh, forever chemicals. Uh, they're found at a lot of different sites. Um, they're found at our, uh, a lot of uh, airports or military complexes where the aqueous firefighting foam was used. Um, they're found there. They're also found where uh, industry was producing the chemical, 3M with their Scotchgard product, as well as uh, uh, like Wolverine boots um, in uh, Michigan. The other important uh, environmental concern with PFAS is that they do bioaccumulate, and that's one of the reasons that we're here this evening, is to talk about the bioaccumulation in fish, um, and it will also bioaccumulate in wildlife. So there are a lot of health impacts uh, with PFAS and the uh, levels of PFAS and, and what we um, take in um, over our lifetime. So high levels of PFAS can contribute to an increased risk of uh, thyroid disease, uh, increased cholesterol levels, decreased efficacy of uh, vaccines and immunizations, and decreased uh, fertility in women. Um, and there is also a cancer risk uh, with elevated levels of PFAS. So there's 4,000 different chemicals. There's two that have really been studied, PFOA and PFOS. Um, we'll talk more about PFOS tonight because that is the, the chemical that does tend to bioaccumulate in fish more than any of the other uh, PFAS substances. So one of the most important things that we can try to convey and, and make sure that people understand that the route of exposure to PFAS is ingestion. It is either through drinking water that contains PFAS, eating fish that contains PFAS, eating food that's been packaged in packaging that has uh, grease-resistant tendencies, and eating that food, uh, you're ingesting it. It can also be ingested through dust, uh, household dust that's in your house where uh, maybe the breakdown of your scotch guard or different stain resistance repellents on your carpet breaks down um, and then you end up um, eating it through uh, the dust settling on different surfaces in your house. So uh, the other big thing is that uh, PFAS has been around for a long time so we can all find PFAS in our bodies. Um, I think they figure it's like 98 or 99% of people have PFAS in their bodies um, already from just consumer products, from uh, different other avenues of ingestion, uh, of ingesting PFAS. All right, so now we're going to talk a little bit about the, the monitoring. Um, so the DNR did a fish uh, study and gathered all types of uh, different species of fish, tested them for PFAS. Um, the uh, levels that came out from this testing were then um, used to give guidance on a fish consumption advisory. 
And the Fish Consumption Advisory is based on the Great Lakes Consortia for Fish Consumption Advisories. There's a group of states and provinces that get together to ensure that the uh, um, Fish Consumer Advisory is the same uh, throughout the whole region. And we're all looking at the same science, the same studies, to kind of keep things consistent. So if you were fishing in Minnesota, uh, the Fish Advisory would be the same there as it is in Wisconsin. Um, and up here you can see the fish um, totals, the advisories that we have. With um, the, the limits, if it's less than 10,000 parts per trillion, it's unrestricted. And then it goes up from there, greater than 200,000 parts per trillion. It is um, considered do not eat. And I just want to share a, uh, a little uh, visual that I learned from one of my colleagues. Um, this is if this amount of liquid in here was put into Lake Wingra, this would be one part per trillion. So if you kind of have an idea of what Lake Wingra is like, this is all that it would take for one part per trillion in Lake Wingra. So we'll show the sample results up here in a little bit, but the bluegill that we found were 48,000 parts per trillion to 43,000 parts per trillion. Should be the other way around. Um, and then the other species were 48,000 parts per trillion up to 180 parts per trillion. So just getting to that point where um, there would be a restriction on the not eating at all. So it's consistent um, in protecting health. Uh, we're all using the same studies across the Great Lakes region. Um, and there's no reduction in PFAS given for um, uh, cleaning. Uh, you can remove some mercury and you can remove some PCBs by uh, doing belly fat um, and removing the belly fat from the fish. Um, and for PFAS, you can't do that. You can't remove any part of the fish to get a reduction in the amount of PFAS that you are eating. It's also taken into effect the fact that um, fish, eating fish is good for us. Um, fish is high in omega-3s um, and we do want to make sure that fish is in our diet. So this is the uh, equation that's used to figure out the uh, meal frequency. The, the reference dose, the dose that you would be eating, the uh, weight of the uh, average adult, 70 kilograms, divided by a meal of fish, 227 grams of fish, which works out to be about eight ounces. Meals per year, and then uh, years, uh, uh, days in the year. And then all of this is figured out to give you the, me the uh, meal frequency concentration. So using all of that information lets us know where the uh, meal frequency should be for eating fish. So this is the, uh, the tissue results from Starkweather Creek. On the left-hand side um, are the PFAS that were found. Um, it's, not, uh, it's not all the PFAS that were tested. It's the PFAS that were found. Up top, you can see LMB stands for largemouth bass. NOP stands for northern pike. WAE is, stands for walleye. And then YEP is for yellow perch. So those are the species that were found and tested. And these are the levels. I don't know. Hopefully everyone can see it. The levels that were found in the different species. 
um, starting with the largemouth bass, 48,000 um, to 180,000, um, and then some of the other higher levels, 91 to 120,000 for the, uh, the uh, perch. And then Lake Monona, the same thing. Again, concentrating on PFOS, PFOS, because that is the one that bioaccumulates the best in the fish. So that is actually the, uh, the chemical that's used to guide the fish uh, consumption advisory. Um, again, you can see the numbers. There's bluegill, BLG, uh, largemouth bass um, were found in uh, Lake Monona and tested. And the numbers are in parts per trillion. All these results are uh, linked on the DNR website at this link. Uh, this presentation will be available, and hopefully that link will be hyperlinked, so you can go to it and check it out. So again, if we go back to the uh, best practice, and we look at the levels of P PFOS in fish, you can see right where the fish uh, stand on those uh, levels, with the uh, bluegill being uh, one meal per week, and everything else being one meal per month, according to the levels that are on the best practice uh, from the Great Lakes Consortium. So this just kind of is a graphical representation. Um, on the bottom we have the species, and then the average for each of the species, with the bars showing where they are unrestricted, one meal a week, one meal a month, or do not eat. So you can kind of get an idea of where it falls uh, within the levels that are um, established by the Great Lakes Consortium. So all this comes down to one bluegill meal per week is really what it comes down to. Uh, consuming more than that could have an impact on your health over the lifetime of eating uh, fish. Uh, one meal of bass, northern walleye, uh, or perch per month. So bluegill is one per week. Pretty much all other species, one per month. Um, some of the other species weren't tested because they weren't caught. As uh, uh, testing continues, these species will be added and the fish consumption advisory uh, change depending on the levels that PFOS found. And again, a meal is eight ounces. This is just shows graphic. If you go to the DNR website and look for the Fish Consumer Advisory, it's a really nice little website. You type in the county or the lake, and it'll pull it up and give you uh, what the fish consumption uh, advisory is for that, um, that body of water. So that was Lake Monona. This is Starkweather. Um, it essentially is saying the same thing as, as one meal bluegill per week. Uh, one meal of other species per month. All right, so we'll switch gears here um, to surface water and talk about some of the surface water sampling that the uh, DNR did. Um, they were tested 20 different spots, um, and these are indicated by the pink dots up here. So some of the testing happened uh, north of the uh, airport, which is right here. Um, up in there, um, and they were tested um, there as well as all the way down to uh, Lake Monona. And the results of the testing is here. It's all in parts per trillion and uh, shows the uh, levels of um, PFOS or PFOS and PFOA in the samples at all of those uh, 20 locations. 
So one that stands out is number 10, uh, 3700. And just to kind of show you where that's at, if we look here, it's right at the bottom of the uh, uh, Dane County Regional Airport. It's where the two branches come together, stark weather going into Lake Monona. So 10 is where the uh, levels were the highest. So this is the current guidance or current uh, signage that we have up. Um, that's, uh, this is right at Obrick, the boat landing. We have 34 signs up and down Starkweather Creek. Um, these are the signs. Uh, they're in Spanish, Hmong, and English. Um, and they were put up there just uh, until we get the fish tissue results back. We have those results back, so now we'll uh, revise the signs and put permanent signs up um, to ensure that people know um, about the PFAS in Starkweather as well as Lake Monona. We'll do Starkweather Creek. We'll do right around the Obrick um, boat launch. Um, and then we'll try to go around the lake and hit like Monona Terrace, uh, Olin, um, Bredenham Park, where we see a lot of uh, ice fishing going on, as well as a couple of the beach areas in the city of Monona. Foam. Uh, the last thing is, uh, or the, one of the last things we'll talk about is foam. There's a couple of different pictures up here of foam, uh, what a PFAS foam looks like, and what a, uh, a natural occurring firm foam looks like. Um, it's best that uh, there's really nothing good in the foam. Um, it's best not to touch it or leave it alone. I mean, touching it's not going to get you uh, 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 um, contaminated with PFAS. Um, again, it comes down to ingesting. Um, so. It's just best not to touch it. There's a lot of other things in foam other than PFAS, like uh, bacteria, uh, that could cause more uh, acute issues than, than the contamination that would be in the foam. So it's best just to leave it alone. So our animals, our furry friends, love the water. Um, but we do want to try to keep, uh, keep pets from drinking the water. Uh, again, if they're ingesting it, they're getting the dose just like a human would be. Um, try to keep them from licking their coats after they've been in the water. So again, they're not ingesting that. And then ensure that the pets are washed after having any contact with the water. So the best way to reduce exposure is to uh, adhere to the fish consumption advisory. That's one bluegill meal a week, um, one meal per month for other species, walleye, northern pike, yellow perch, and largemouth bass. Uh, ensure that all surfaces in your home are dusted and vacuumed on a regular basis. Again, removing that uh, PFAS uh, contamination from your home. And try to limit eating food uh, from uh, treated paper and grease-resistant uh, packaging, which can be very difficult um, as most of our food, as we're getting it, we, we want it to be grease-resistant so it doesn't get on our clothes or anything else. Um, but that's one, another way that we can reduce our exposure. So showering, washing dishes, uh, swimming, kayaking, other, other recreational activities in the water, it's perfectly fine. It's not going to cross your dermal, your skin. It's not going to be an issue. Again, it comes back to ingestion. Um, and as long as you're not ingesting, you shouldn't be further contaminating yourself. So there's a lot of uh, interest going on at the, um, at the state level right now. And um, I just I want to point out some of that. 
the Wisconsin DNR is doing additional testing in Lake Monona and um, down farther on the uh, chain of lakes here in Dane County. Um, Wisconsin Department of Health Services is reviewing an additional uh, PFAS. I believe uh, they're looking at 20 additional PFAS and looking at the health studies and determining if there will be um, uh, limits that are sent back to the DNR for consideration and to uh, include it in a rule in the future. So again, I just want to say that there's two that have really been studied. There's not a lot of information out there. Um, this is a fairly new area, and a lot of work is being done to figure out the, not only the health impacts, but the environmental impacts of PFAS. We also have some other state initiatives that are going on. Um, the first one up there, the, the uh, PFAS uh, uh, foam uh, used by fire departments has passed, um, so that should no longer, um, the foam should no longer be used by fire departments throughout the state of Wisconsin. The uh, second one on here, AB 792, uh, just gives a, uh, expands clean sweep so people have a way to dispose of their PFAS containing foams in a way that's not going to be hazardous to the environment. Um, right now, the, uh, 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 the DNR is considering an emergency rule to speed up the interim guidance for uh, groundwater levels of PFOA and PFOS. Um, that uh, should hopefully shorten the time um, to rule by, by several months, uh, possibly a, a year. So um, we're looking forward to having that uh, standard out there. And then also uh, the uh, DNR is running uh, what's called the Wisconsin PFAS Advisory Council, um, and that's available on their website, and anyone can go and attend those meetings. Uh, you can attend in person, or you could attend um, watching on, on a webinar um, and watch what's happening um, and how the department is working to eliminate uh, PFAS uh, in the state. Oh, and that is it. Are there any questions at all? We use those water to cook, eat every day. Some people even drink city water. Is that going to affect us? At this point in time, the, the water in the city uh, are at levels below um, the interim standards that have been um, advised by DHS and DNR of 20 parts per trillion for PFOA and PFOS, either one or combined. So all the water in the city is below those, uh, those levels. So um, that, uh, uh, according to that, the water is, is safe to drink. I would also mention, too, that people have different tolerances of safety and of risk. So if, if a person um, is not tolerant of that or does not um, want to use that standard, that's a, you know, a personal choice. Yeah, I read that well nine has 54 parts per trillion. So why is there a discrepancy, you know? Um, well nine has 54 parts per trillion total. Um, but I, I, since we have Joe Grande here, um, mm -hmm. it would probably be best to ask him. Okay. So, um, 
It has to do with the particular makeup. So when we're talking about um, that 20 part per trillion that, that Doug just mentioned, it's for PFOA, PFOS. Mm -hmm. And so those are the only compounds where there is um, a recommended standard here um, that's been recommended here in Wisconsin. Okay. At um, well nine, it's a different makeup. So there's a shorter chain compound, PFBA, which is the primary constituent in that 54 part per trillion. And there is no um, standard for that. Mm -hmm. And even if you look across all the other the states in the country, there's only one recommendation that I'm familiar with, and that's at 7,000 for that. Mm -hmm. There are a couple of countries that do have standards where they combine a number of PFAS compounds. Um, I think it's Denmark and Sweden, and they're combined is somewhere between 90 and 100 part per trillion, and we're still below that. So okay. the guidance that we have is that we're below each of those standards anywhere in the U.S. and anywhere internationally. So why did they have to close well 15? Because I thought well 15 was only about 59 or something. So again, it's 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 the it's the various it's the various um, the kind of the chemical signature. As, as Doug said, there's many, many different types of these compounds, okay. and um, PFOA and PFOS are the, the most well-studied, and even PFOA and PFOS at well 15 are below that 20 part per trillion, but there are other states, including New Hampshire and Vermont, that have a drinking water standard that um, well 15 would be above. Okay. Well 9 is not above that. So we can look at the, the total but I'm not sure that that represents uh, that it's apples to apples comparison in terms of risk because of the specific makeup of the PFAS that's found at nine compared to 15. I know this is a lot of detail, and yeah. but well, I, I get it. It's not like you said apples to apples. It's, yeah, exactly. It seems like one thing, but it could be something else. You know. Right. Probably for Joe again. Um, do you know much about what was behind those standards, like from Vermont, with regard to POAs and POS of that twenty that twenty part uh, level? What contributed that? How much science? What's the variability? What's the impact on health, and the, especially the variability on health? I mean, and uh, how much of this is fact versus emotion, perception? You don't have to answer that one. <laughs> well, it, it, is a, it is a good question, and different formulas are used in different states. Um, and so it is, again, apples to apples or apples to oranges, and that's why we want to have the fish consumption advisory kind of be standard uh, throughout this area because someone may use a different formula in another area, come up with different levels that may not be based in, in science. I'd also say that there's a lot, there's a there's a big uh, vacuum of, of information out there too. We don't know a lot about um, other substances other than those two. Um, that would be my uh, answer, uh, as that that people are using different uh, different measures, different equations to figure it out. I don't know if you guys would be. Thank you, Zach. Um, yes, yeah, so that is a good question, and I think depending on different... 
Oh, I'm sorry. I'm Clara Jung from Department of Health Service. I'm one of the toxicologists in our team. <coughs> Excuse me. So when so each state will have their different process to review the most recent scientific uh, studies to see for the individual toxicities of different PFAS. So depending, so for the the Vermont case, I cannot tell in details about that state's process. But for us, when there is a, so for in our example, we do combine PFOA and PFOS, and this is based on the like review of all those multiple uh, animal studies or other studies that we have been reviewed, and when those uh, mechanism of how that toxicants can like lead to a certain type of health effects, when we do see those are reasonable to combine based on the mechanism and the levels of the toxicity, that is part of the basis how we combine those two. And for other states, I believe they will have a different criteria. However, the purpose is all the same to make sure that we are protecting the public from either the specific compounds or considering all the other additional PFAS chemicals that they have for that. Follow-up. Are the standards usually based on the outliers? In other words, the the most sensitive people to these compounds. I mean, if they're in a scientific study, there's always going to be some distribution. Are these meant to try to pr protect 80, 90, 99 percent of the population? Yes, that is a great question. So in fact, whenever we come up with a standard, our purpose is to make sure that the most sensitive populations are also protective, protected by the value. So for our value from Wisconsin, those levels were considering the PFAS amount that could be into, build up into the babies, which is the most sensitive population that we can consider. So the a level of PFAS that is going to be considered to be safe throughout the lifetime for the sensitive population is all considered to the value. Thank you, Clara. Thank you, Carl. I'll just get it. <laughs> I got it. Thank you. Any other questions at all from anybody? No. Thank you. Um, I guess that's uh, it then. Thank you very much. Uh, we are being recorded tonight, so uh, hopefully we can push this out to a lot of different groups, a lot of different people to get the message out um, about the fish consumer advisory and, and why it's important to us to uh, ensure that we're adhering to that advisory. Thank you very much. Uh, we appreciate you all coming out on a, on a snowy night like this. Thanks. <laughs>